Let's open our Bibles to um, where Paul was reading for us, Ezekiel chapter 26. Ezekiel 26, I've entitled this Prophecies of Tyre. And Tyre would be on the Mediterranean coast, east of, of east and a little north of um, Israel. Came to pass in the eleventh year, on the first day of the month, that the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, because Tyre has said against Jerusalem, Aha, she's broken. Who was the gateway of the peoples, now she's turned over to me. I shall be filled, she is laid waste. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because I am against you, O Tyre, and will cause many nations to come up against you as the sea causes the waves to come up. And they shall destroy the walls of Tyre and break down her towers. I will also scrape her dust from her and make her like the top of a rock. And it will be a place for spreading nets in the midst of the sea. I have spoken, says the Lord God. It shall become plunder for the nations. Also her daughters and villages which are in the field shall be slain by the sword. And then they shall know that I am the Lord. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will bring against Tyre from the north Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, king of kings, with horses, with chariots, with horsemen, and an army and many people. And he will slay with the sword your daughters, villages in the field. He will heap up siege mounds against you, build a wall against you, and raise a defense against you. He will direct his battering rams against your walls, and with his axes he will break down your towers. Because of the abundance of his horses, their dust will cover you. Your walls will shake at the noise of the horsemen. The wagons, the chariots, when he enters your gates, as men enter a city that has been breached. And with the hooves of his horses, he will trample all your streets, and he will slay your people by the sword, and your strong pillars will fall to the ground. From he to they. They will plunder your riches and pillage your merchandise. They will break down your walls and destroy your pleasant houses. They will lay your stones, your timbers, your soil in the midst of the water. And I will put an end to the sound of your songs and the sound of your harps will be heard no more. And I will make you like the top of a rock. You will be a place for spreading nets and you shall never be rebuilt. For I, the Lord, have spoken says the Lord God. As we've been making our way through Jeremiah and Ezekiel, again, just quick review. Same message for 40 years. Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet because he had no good news, except that they would be destroyed and the temple, and they would be taken into captivity for 70 years. As we look at the first couple of verses here, there's gloating on the part of the king of Tyre. Why? Uh, because at this time, Jerusalem has fallen. And um, uh, she says, ah, she's broken, who was the gateway of the people. That's a reference to Jerusalem. And they're actually looking at, David was actually friends and did much business with the king of Tyre. And um, yet Solomon didn't get along quite so well with the king, 
We have two cities here. We have Tyre and Sidon. And um, this is where Jezebel came from. She married King Ahab. She introduced idolatry to the ten northern tribes of Baal worship. And um, so there's sort of this haughty gloating. And they're actually saying they're going to take advantage of what happened to uh, Jerusalem. But the Lord said he heard that. And as a result, he's going to come after them and he's going to bring them down. Um, Tyre was the capital of the great Phoenician nation, which was famous for its seagoing traders. They sailed the Mediterranean and even went beyond that. We know today that they went around the pillars of Hercules, the Rock of Gibraltar, all the way into Great Britain, where they obtained tin. Great Britain is where we get the name from. Um, They established a colony in North Africa. Tarshish in Spain was founded by these people. They were great colonizers, and they went a lot further than we used to think they did in their explorations. So as we begin this, um, we have prophecies of destruction that the Lord, like um, he calls Ezekiel, son of man, uh, to prophesy. And it's a, do, it's a good example as we, as we go through the scriptures that we're going to see several times this morning uh, that in one verse you can have a gap of 300 years. We're going to see it here, and we're going to see it when we go to Daniel chapter 7. So as we look at these verses here, the judgment, what's going to happen, um, they talk about scraping it up and completely destroying it. And let me draw your attention to verses 7 through 11, where it talks about, um, it's just very interesting to note that in 7 through 11, clearly what's predicted that Nebuchadnezzar will take the city, no doubt about it. And the pronoun, he, is all the way through this section up to this point. But now, beginning with the next verse, the pronoun changes to they. And this is significant. God had said that the nations, plural, were coming here, and that was a prediction. So we have a prophecy. The prophecy was Nebuchadnezzar is going to come here first, and he's going to lay waste to the city of Tyre, in which he did. He completely leveled it and destroyed it. And as a result, what the, um, uh, the Phoenicians did is they thought, well, this is not safe. And there was an island uh, seven to 800 meters off the shore of Tyre. I, um, I asked Siri just how much is seven or 800 meters. <laughs> At roughly eight football fields, about 800, 800 yards. And so off the shore of Tyre, there was an island. And they did not rebuild after Nebuchadnezzar's destruction. What they did is they moved the city out to this island because they were already known for their expades of being um, uh, seafaring people. So now we look at verse 14, and it goes from he, if you look at verse 14, no longer he, Nebuchadnezzar, but they will plunder and they will break down your walls, destroy your pleasant houses. 
I will put an end of your songs. But verse 14, um, and they will, verse 12, they will lay stones and timbers in the soil in the midst of the waters. Let me show you, uh, I looked up a couple pictures yesterday of uh, Tyre before the they there is a reference to Alexander the Great. So between verses 11 and 12, we have a gap of 300 years. And I'm gonna come in and fill in the blanks. We're gonna go to Daniel 7. We'll fill in the years. But again, what what you wanna be uh, conscious of as we teach through the Bible, that often in one verse to the next verse, there will be a gap of time. So this is what Tyre looked like before Alexander came. And there's, the causeway isn't built yet. And uh, Tyre would have been on the mainland, and that would have been the island that they moved to. And uh, they, they felt very, very secure and very, very safe. Now we find uh, some 300 years later that Alexander the Great, now before we get to the, the Grecian Empire, remember we have the Medo-Persian Empire that was also involved with world conquest. So when it says nations, we want to go from Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon, the Medes and the Persians under Darius and Cyrus, and then you have conquering the Medes and the Persians would have been Alexander the Great. What he did is in verse 12, he came and he saw that, um, that there's no way that there was anybody in the city. They had moved. Well, he had plenty of time, and he had plenty of soldiers, and this is what he did. Next picture, please. This is an actual picture today of Tyre. And as the scripture said, it has never, the, the city itself has never um, been rebuilt. But here is the causeway broadened over time and uh, that where the island is now is now connected. So here is this incredible prophecy. This prophecy waited centuries for fulfillment. For 300 years, the ruins of Tyre lay there uh, and they were very impressive. Although Nebuchadnezzar had destroyed the city, the second prophecy had not been fulfilled. So who is going to take up the stones and scrape the dust into the ocean? Well, out of the west comes Alexander the Great. You see, after the return of the Tyridians from the Babylonian captivity, they decided to rebuild their city on an island and forget all about the mainland. Since they were a seafaring power, they could get better protection for themselves on an island. And when Alexander got there, he saw the ruins of the city, but that the inhabitants' new city was out yonder on this island out of his reach. He had plenty of time. He had plenty of soldiers. So he decided to build a causeway to the city. Where did he get the material to construct it clear out to, into the ocean? He simply took the building materials of the old tire, the stones, the pillars, even the dust of the city, that's why it was scraped, and built a causeway over which his army marched right into the new city of Tyre. He destroyed the city, and from that day to this day, it has never been rebuilt. This is a remarkable prophecy. As I mentioned, 
and what you'll hear with Bible critics or people who have a problem with um, something being so precise and so accurate, they usually go back and say, well, it was obviously written after the fact, and that's why they had the information. Here's the problem with Tyre. You see, with Tyre, um, well, as I mentioned, the critics tried to explain away the prophecies regarding Nebuchadnezzar's destruction of the city by saying that Ezekiel wrote it after he had, it had happened. But it's impossible for them to claim that Ezekiel wrote after Alexander the Great because he wasn't around after Alexander. We're talking 300 years later. And so we have this detailed, precise prophecy that shows again the wonder of God's word and the confidence that that we can put in it. But let's fill in the blanks here because we're talking, we're completely leaving out the Medo-Persian Empire. Go with me to Daniel chapter seven. Daniel seven, I'll give you an overview. Daniel seven is very similar to Daniel chapter two with Nebuchadnezzar's dream. He had a dream that troubled him of this great image. And the great image represented, I'm just going to briefly allude to it, the head being of gold, Nebuchadnezzar himself. Um, The torso would have been the Medes and the Persians because they conquered the Babylonians. But Alexander the Great conquered the Medes and the Persians and then we have the Romans coming in and they were the ones that uh, conquered the world after Alexander the Great. So let's go through this. In chapter 7, instead of using an image of a a man made out of metal, the Lord decides to tell Daniel to describe these nations as fierce beasts. So let's pick it up, and um, I'm going to read 1 through 8. This is, um, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and a vision in his head while on his bed. Then he wrote down the dream, telling the main facts. Daniel spoke, saying, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four beasts came up from the sea, each one different from the other. Now, I want you to notice the order here. Because when we close things up this morning, we're going to see the same order in Revelation, but it's going to be reversed. We'll try to connect some dots there. Verse 4, the first was like a lion. And that would have represented Nebuchadnezzar. And had eagle's wings. And I watched till his wings were plucked. And it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man. And a man's heart was given to it. And suddenly another beast, a second like a bear, it raised up on one side and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And they said, arise, devour much flesh. That would have been the Medes and the Persians. Now, Alexander was known for his quickness and how fast he could move and conquer. So in verse 6, after this I looked and there was another that was like a leopard, which on his back had four wings of a bird. When Alexander died at the age of 32 or 33, he had conquered the known world. They wanted to know who he was going to leave the empire to. He said, give it to the strong. And we have his four generals cutting up the slice of pie in the four different sections of his worldwide conquest from Egypt all, all the way north up, 
up to Rome on one side and India on the other was, was Alexander the Great's empire. So the four wings of a bird would represent those four. The beast also had four heads and dominion was given to it. Now, here we have, um, in verse seven, after this I saw in the night vision, behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, trampling the residue with his feet. It was different from the beasts that were before it, and it had 10 horns. Now, between verses seven and eight, we have an allusion here again to the Roman Empire. And um, during the time of Christ, it was the Romans that were world rulers and world conquerors. So let's just go through it. We find that also in Daniel 2, the two that are left out, actually there's gonna be seven altogether. We start with the Egyptian Empire. We go to the Assyrian Empire. Remember we talked about how they were destroyed in one night? One angel took out 185,000 and the king, Sennacherib, went back to Assyria and his sons killed him. So one night he's gone. Then we have, so there's two. When Daniel writes, of course, he was in the Babylonian captivity those whole 70 years, but Babylon fell in one night too. When, when the Medes and the Persians made, diverted the Euphrates and came in, and that very night the king of Babylon died. So they're past tense. Um, The rise of Darius and Cyrus, the Medes and the Persians, they had their time. And then, of course, the Roman Empire. Now the point I want to make here is there has not been a world ruling empire by one dictator since the Roman Empire, since the emperors. Uh, Hitler tried, Mussolini tried, but nobody, and there has not been a world empire. But in verse eight, it talks about, I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little horn, coming up among them before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. And there in the horn was the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking pompous words. What we have here between seven and eight is a gap. Yes, we have the Roman Empire, but now what we don't see is 2,000 year gap where this little horn, also referred to in Daniel chapter 11, is none other than the Antichrist. And when he comes, he's gonna have this mouth speaking great and pompous words. So the question arises if it's as late as we think it is. Um, I, I personally feel that uh, the Antichrist is alive today. I do not believe that he will be aware when he comes into power that he is an Antichrist. He'll be known as a man of peace. And that will last for three and a half years. So we're sort of looking, you know, the stereotype of who could fit this image. And this is just for what it's worth what I'm about to read to you. But I find his name extremely interesting. And this will be in um, uh, Wednesday's News Bites. I got a copy, hot off the press. And I'm gonna read just the, um, uh, the first paragraph. Um, and I'm not saying that this is the man, but it's gonna be the type of man. 
So the the title of this says, The English-speaking, German-loving, French politician Europe has been waiting for. His name? Emmanuel. That should get some humps and haws out there. His name is Emmanuel. God with us. Last name, Macron. I'll just read a paragraph and you can uh, get the news bites later. In some of his many previous lives, that's an interesting way to start an article, 39-year-old Emmanuel Macron has been a, a philosophy student, an investment banker, minister of economy. It's not surprising then in his current life as an independent candidate for the French presidency, he does not always speak like other candidates. And it's not only the substance of his language that stands out, but also sometimes his choice of language. For instance, last week in a speech at Berlin, Humboldt University, uh, Macron spoke impeccable English on the um, imperative of giving Europe a chance and of giving the future a chance. Macron's speech offered a powerful and convincing case that he is the last great French hope for a European future based on a common market and a common morality, a single currency, and a single commitment to the continent's core values. Now, if you've been watching the news, there's a a, a lot of unsettlement that is taking place in the European uh, Union as we speak. Turn with me to uh, the book of Daniel chapter 9. I want to read read verse 26 and stop and explain something. This, of course, is uh, the famous uh, 70-week prophecies concerning the very day that Jesus would be revealed. And it talks about, Daniel actually talks about the Messiah being cut off. In verse 26, after the 62 weeks plus the seven, or after 483 years, or 177,880 days, it says Messiah. Now, again, you can't get any more direct than that who we're talking about here. The Messiah will be cut off. The Hebrew word there is executed, karat, but not for himself. Jesus died on the cross. He was cut off, executed, but not for himself, for me and for you. And the people of the prince who is to come, This is where you need to put your thinking caps on just a little bit. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The Romans destroyed the the sanctuary and they also destroyed the, the city. But it says, and the people of the prince, now this is singular, a person who is to come. This is now future tense. When he comes, it says, with the end there will be a a flood. uh, Until the end, our wars and desolations are determined. Now the he is a reference to somebody who's going to come out of the Roman Empire, which is a part of today of the European community. And so that's where we should be looking. And um, I'm disappointed in the guy who wrote the book, the... the, um, 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 Islamic Antichrist. I mean, the guy just hasn't done his homework. I'll just leave it, leave it at that. I actually met him in Israel 
And when I was introduced to him, <laughs> he was expecting some kind of response from me. And he didn't get one. So then my friend, that would have been Joseph Ferris, says, you know, the guy who wrote the Islamic Antichrist. Still no expression. So it was an awkward moment, to say the least. <laughs> um, I think he picked up, and I wasn't impressed with his book. And um, to say it was scholarly and well-written, um, I'll just leave that at that. He clearly comes from the European, you've got to disallow these verses. So we find here that he, at verse 27, is a reference to this guy who is, comes out of the Roman Empire, is going to make a covenant with many for one week. God owes Israel seven years. 69 of these have already been fulfilled when the Messiah was executed, cut off. But now, again, like we studied earlier, there's a gap in time. What I'm about to read has not yet been fulfilled. The he there is a reference to the Antichrist, that when he comes, he will make um, a covenant, we call it a peace treaty, with many for one year, in other words, for seven years. That is seven years. But in the middle of the week, something happens. And that's why I believe when the Antichrist shows up on the scene, I don't think he realizes he's the Antichrist. When you look at Revelation chapter um, 12, we find the last couple of verses, there's war in heaven, Michael and his angels fought against the devil and his angels, and Michael's angels won. And the devil was cast down to the earth. And then it goes on to tell us that he has great anger and fury because he knows he only has a little bit of time left. So I'm going to connect some dots there when we go to the book of Revelation. How much time does he have left? He'll have three and a half years. Because the abomination of desolation, he will bring an end to the sacrifice and offering. What does that mean? That means there's a temple. That means that Israel's once again having sacrifices on the Temple Mount. And on the wings of abomination shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate. Did Jesus believe this? He taught it. He says, when you see the abomination of desolation, that means it couldn't have happened before then. He's talking future tense. When you see the abomination of desolation, then in parentheses, whosoever reads, let him understand. Go back and read Daniel 9, verses 26 and 27. Whosoever reads, let him understand, for then there will be great tribulation. Run for the hills. Don't go back in to get your coat. Pray that you're not pregnant. Pray that it's not wintertime. Pray that it's not the Sabbath. Because then there will, um, he, will, it, he will pour out um, his indignation at that time. All right, um, the question is, as we look at this, I ask the question, well, will this really happen? And the way I would answer that, you know, that's not the question. The, what we have here is there's nothing can stop it from happening. Good place for an amen. Nothing can stop what I'm reading to you this morning from happening. Um, you know, prophecy, gang, it is a weapon we should be using. As people are asking questions today, 
as we see the signposts all over. Isaiah 42, 9 says, Behold, the former things have come to pass. New things I declared before they spring forth, I tell you, of them. That's Isaiah. This is Isaiah 46. Remember the former things of old, for I am God. There is no other. Did you catch that? There is no other God. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring the beginning from the end and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel will stand, and I will do all my pleasure. New Testament, Jesus said about prophecy, now I will tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am. So when my Bible talks about another future one world government, well, I say, well, let's look at prophecy here. Let's look at um, the book of Daniel. Did these things come to pass exactly as the Lord said they would? We have to say absolutely yes. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away. Not my word. To the jot and the tittle, dotting of the I, the crossing of the T, it has to happen. And so what we just read in 27 tells me Israel's going to make a covenant with the Antichrist, a peace treaty. He's going to honor it for three and a half years. But then Satan gets cast out of heaven, but also there's assassination attempt at the same time according to um, Revelation chapter 13. So let's make our way there for a minute. Revelation 13. I was just commenting on Revelation 12, and I'd like you guys to see this. So we have the war in heaven from 7 till 12. And again, I'll read verse 12. Rejoice, O heavens, for and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth, for the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. Now, when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. The woman is Israel. That's why Jesus said, when you see the abomination of desolation, run. It happens during this period of time. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness. That's where the Lord told them to go. And she'll be nourished for a time, singular, one year, times plural, two, two and one is three, and half a times for three and a half years from the presence of the serpent. Now this is a whole Bible study in itself that we could go to Isaiah 16 and talk about Petra and Jordan, but that would be too much of a sidetrack this morning. And the serpent spewed out his mouth like a flood after the woman that the woman might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman, Israel, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Could be symbolic, um, probably an army, could be literal. For the dragon was enraged with Israel, the woman, and went to make war with the rest of her offspring that keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, 12 is interesting because it's about the Antichrist, the little horn that we read about that will come out of the Roman Empire. Then I stood on the sands of the sea, chapter 13, and I saw a beast rising out of the sea having seven heads and ten horns, and on his Horns, ten crowns, and on his head, blasphemous names. 
And the beast which I saw, notice the reverse order here, was like a leopard. That was Alexander. Feet like the feet of a bear. That was the meat of Persians. And a mouth like a lion. Babylon. Why are they in reverse order? You know what the answer is? I don't know. That's a file in the back cabinet there. Why'd you do that? You got it backwards, Lord. Well, you'll have an answer for it, I'm sure. But notice the dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. Satan is now on planet Earth. So my take on this, and I'm not dogmatic on this at all, if, if, if it's possibly Emmanuel Macrit or somebody like him, I believe he might enter into this. I don't think he's aware that he's being set up. But what's going to happen is there's going to be an assassination attempt on his life. For it says in verse C, 3, I saw one of his head as it had been mortally wounded, and his mortal wound was healed. You know, we just we went from Obama to um, Trump. It was just a slip of the tongue, believe me. And what we have here is, imagine JFK and the fatal head wound that he had. And um, when the doctor saw it, they knew it was too late. But imagine him just getting up and walking out, having all of his senses. This guy has a fatal head wound. Was he really dead? Is it a false resurrection? Again, my answer is, I don't know. (laughs) But here, um, all the world marveled as a result of this assassination attempt, and they worshiped the dragon. The dragon is who? Satan, who gave authority to the beast And they worshiped the beast saying, who's like this guy? Who's able to make war with him? He was giving a mouth speaking great things. What did Daniel say? The little horn's gonna be pompous with his verbiage, arrogant, proud. And he was continued to give authority for 42 months. This is the second half of the tribulation period. Daniel 9 says that's when the covenant is broken. Daniel 9, verse 26, he makes a covenant, peace treaty for many, for three and a half years, a times, times, and a half of times. So what I want you to see as we go through this is just how incredibly accurate the Bible is. You can be studying Ezekiel. You can be studying Daniel. And all the dots are connected in Revelation, like a perfect puzzle. And he opened his mouth to blaspheme God, to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. And it was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given over him over every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. We once again have the last world-ruling dictator. And it was foretold in Daniel, the little horn that came out. There has not been one since the Roman emperors. emperors, And it says that he comes from the people of the prince who will come. He's going to come from Rome. That's why this guy has my curiosity. The young people love him, by the way. And I wish I could read the whole thing, but come Wednesday night and get get the handouts. Well, um, as we consider our 
subject this morning on Tyre with prophecies, plural. We find 300 years from Nebuchadnezzar destroying it. We find 300 years that goes by. Our country isn't even 300 years old. And who shows up but Alexander? And he accomplishes something long after Ezekiel was dead. So it had to be a prophecy that only God could fulfill. God said he was going to do it. Now, he said he would never be rebuilt again. Um, as you look at the word of God, the Sidon, which was destroyed at that time, stands today as it always has, but Tyre is gone. Nobody has tried to rebuild it. Lebanon hasn't tried. God's word said that Tyre would never be rebuilt. If you can rebuild Tyre, you can contradict God's word, but that probably is not a good idea. The next event that I expect to happen prophetically is Isaiah chapter 17. Damascus is the terrorist headquarters of the world. I think Trump's going to do what he said he's going to do. I'm impressed with the the general that he just brought on staff. We have the means, we have the resources to take care of ISIS. We've just never done it. But I think Trump's the kind of guy who will actually go after him. And uh, where, where does he have to go to get him? Terrorist capital of the world. It's called Damascus. Isaiah 17 says this, that Damascus is going to be destroyed and it's never going to be inhabited again. Now I make the link there because that's what he said about Tyre. And I can look at that and say, well, God's word is true with Tyre. If he says Damascus is gonna be destroyed and never inhabited again, guess what? Damascus is gonna be destroyed and never inhabited again. It's got to come to pass. It's the terrorist capital of the world. That's where Assad is. And that's where everything is, is happening. All right, that's a lot of heavy stuff on, on judgment and things that are coming. Let's see if we can end it on a little positive, more positive note. Let's go back to Daniel chapter 7 as we begin to wind this thing up this morning. So the first eight verses of Daniel 7 talk about, here's the order again, the lion, the bear, and the leopard in that order. And then we have the little horn coming out representing the Antichrist. But then verse nine. You see, as true as God's word is of these other world reigning kingdoms, Daniel switches gear in verse nine. He says, I watched till thrones were put in place and the ancient of days was seated. His garment was white as snow and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, his wheels a burning fire, a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him and ten thousands times ten thousands stood before him. This is Revelation chapter five, the heavenly scene. The court was seated and the books were opened. And I watched because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking, the Antichrist. I watched till the beast was slain and a spotted destroyed and given to the burning flame. That's exactly what Revelation 19 says. When Jesus Christ turns at the battle of Armageddon, he takes the false prophet 
and the Antichrist, and they're thrown directly into the lake of fire. And this is exactly what verse 11 of Daniel 7 says is going to happen to them. And for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time, referring to after, um, uh, their judgment. Verse 13, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. He came to the Ancient of Days, which is a reference to our Heavenly Father, and they brought him near before him, To him was given a dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion in contrast to these others coming and going, which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. Good place for an amen there. That's what we're looking forward to Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3 and also 1 John 2 as we close up this morning. First of all, 2 Peter 3. So what do we do with all this information? Well, we're, we're, we're supposed to be watching. We're supposed to be aware of the times and the seasons. But then this exhortation by Peter in 2 Peter 3, picking it up in verse 8. But beloved, do not forget this one thing that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord's not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness, but he's long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. This is important. He doesn't want you to be lost. He's not willing that any be lost forever but that you repent. Now, repentance is not in vogue today. Only feel good, walk around that subject because it brings conviction. You need to be honest about yourself when you look in the mirror and realize you're a sinner, and so am I. Another good place for an amen. And you gotta consciously, there can be no conversion without conviction. You have to be convicted of your sins before you can be saved. It's not just, I give my life to Jesus. I said the sinner's prayer. No, there's gotta be heartfelt conviction. And then a complete turning away from that. Well, it's not that you're gonna be perfect. It's not that you're gonna slip and blow it. But praise the Lord for 1 John 1, 9. That if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you from your sins and your unrighteousness. And the good news is, You get a clean shot at it every single day because his mercies are new every single morning. Too good to be true. It is. But he's long-suffering. He doesn't want you to perish. But if you don't repent, you need to know that you will. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. The elements will melt with a fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, Since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of person ought you to be in all holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Some people are trying to downplay Bible prophecy right now, even in our Calvary Chapel movement. And as a result, now more than ever, more than any other time, 
We need to be um, looking at the signs of the times, or the times of the signs, literally. Looking for, that's an exhortation. Lord, we're looking, hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Nevertheless, I like that, nevertheless, we, according to his promise, we look for a new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwells righteousness. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless. And before first and second Peter, you have first and second John, first John chapter after, I should have said, after second Peter. We have first John chapter two, very familiar scriptures, in light of all these things that are passing away. Verse 15, do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If anybody loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Whoa, did you catch that one? If everybody, anybody loves this present world, the love of the Father is not in that person. That is a strong statement. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, that's not of the Father, but of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust thereof, but he who does the will of God abides forever. The Lord says, wherever your heart is, that's where you're gonna find your treasures. Question is, where are your treasures? Answer is, where your heart is. Amen? Let's stand and close in prayer. Lord, as we make our way through Ezekiel and look at this incredible prophecy about Tyre and how it was completed over a 300-year period of time. We stand in awe, Heavenly Father, of your word and um, how we can stand upon it. It brings such stability, Lord, in such an unstable world. Thank you, Jesus, that you've given us your word. And Lord, as we go out today, um, we want to leave just a little bit better equipped and we want to be able to um, fellowship with our brothers and sisters And Lord, we just give you this day and we give you the rest of this week. We want to finish well, Lord. We see the finish line. But Lord, keep us by your grace. And we promise to give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. God's people said, amen.